This is the Bible in Wenya, day 116. Right Relationships At an Alpha conference we held in East Malaysia, there were people from all over Asia. Many had been persecuted because of their faith. One man told me that his father had been in prison for six years for the simple fact that he was a Christian pastor. He himself was in prison for a year, aged 19, for speaking out on behalf of his father. It's a terrible injustice when the innocent are convicted and imprisoned, even worse when they're executed. In the New Testament passage for today, we read of one of the greatest injustices in human history. Jesus was totally innocent. He was a righteous man, yet he was executed by crucifixion. The Apostle Peter explains it like this, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. The word righteous is often associated with the self-righteous, but has almost become a term of abuse. However, righteous in the Bible is a wonderful word. It's also extremely important for our understanding of the whole Bible. Righteousness is ultimately about right relationships, a right relationship with God and right relationships with others. In the New Testament, we come to understand that this righteousness is only possible through faith in Jesus Christ. From Proverbs 10 The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of sense. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth, without painful toil for it. A fool finds pleasure in wicked schemes, but a person of understanding delights in wisdom. What the wicked dread will overtake them. What the righteous desire will be granted. When the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so are sluggards to those who send them. The fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. The prospect of the righteous is joy, but the hopes of the wicked come to nothing. The way of the Lord is a refuge for the blameless, but it is the ruin of those who do evil. The righteous will never be uprooted, but the wicked will not remain in the land. Blessings of the Righteous The book of Proverbs contrasts the life of the fool with the life of the wise. It also contrasts the life of the righteous with the life of the wicked. Here are some of the many blessings that are promised to the righteous. First, difference to others. The lips of the righteous nourish many. We cannot be righteous in isolation. Righteousness is about our relationships. It's about bringing blessing to others. Who could you nourish, feed, guide, encourage with your words today? Second, delight in wisdom. Those who have insight delight in wisdom. One of the things that come from a relationship with God is a hunger for knowledge and wisdom. Ask for wisdom today. God promises to give wisdom when you ask. Third, desires fulfilled. What the righteous desire will be granted. God's Spirit begins to change your will to align it with His. And, as it becomes aligned with His will, God promises to give you the desires of your heart. Fourth, destiny of joy. The prospect of the righteous is joy. 
the righteous stand firm forever. The fear of the Lord adds length to life, and the righteous will never be uprooted. Right relationships are a source of great joy. Your joy is made complete in a relationship with Jesus. Your destiny is eternal joy. Lord, I pray for wisdom today, that you would put a guard over my lips so that my words may be used to feed and guide others. New Testament from Luke 23 As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others, let him save himself, if he's God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us! But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. 
He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. The Righteous for the Unrighteous This passage gives hope to us all. We see from the example of one of the criminals who was executed with Jesus that the moment you recognize your sin and turn to Jesus, you receive total forgiveness and are put in a right relationship with God. This man did absolutely nothing to earn this gift. He did not even have the opportunity to be baptized. Yet instantly, this criminal received the promise that on the same day, he would be with Jesus in paradise. How is this possible? First, righteousness of Jesus. Is there someone who's hurt you whom you need to forgive today? Jesus sets the bar very high in terms of the challenge to love our enemies, our critics, those who sneer and mock us. The test of our character is how we respond when we're suffering and in pain. Jesus, as he's being tortured on the cross, prays for his torturers. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus was living in a right relationship with God. His very last words recorded in Luke's Gospel are, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Even the Roman centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. Second, unrighteousness of us all. The righteousness of Jesus is contrasted with the people who stood watching, the rulers who sneered at Jesus, the soldiers who mocked him, and the criminals who were punished justly and getting what their deeds deserved. One of them hurled insults at Jesus. The other rebuked his fellow criminal, and turning to Jesus, he recognized his own sin. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. And the righteousness of Jesus, this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Third, righteous died for the unrighteous. This passage is full of irony. As the rulers sneer at Jesus saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he's the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers mock, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. One of the criminals calls on him, Aren't you the Christ, save yourself and us? Actually, he is dying in order to save them and us. And in doing so, he cannot save himself. He's dying as the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. The curtain of the temple is torn in two, symbolizing that through the death of Jesus, access to the presence of God is made possible for everyone. Jesus has made it possible for you and me to have a right relationship with God. Fourth, righteous or unrighteous. In the contrast between the two criminals and the difference in their reaction to Jesus, Luke lays before us the decision we all need to make. 
You can reject Jesus, as one of them did, or you can put your faith in him, as the other one did, when he turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me. Although many at the time rejected Jesus, others put their faith in him. For example, Joseph of Arimathea, a good and upright man, came to believe in Jesus. He'd not consented to the decision of the council, was waiting for the kingdom of God and arranged a dignified burial for Jesus. The women who'd come with Jesus put their faith in him. They followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. You too get to choose. When you put your faith in Jesus, he promises that, like the criminal who turned to him, you too will be with him in paradise. If you ever feel the burden to try to earn God's love, you can be comforted by this passage that there's nothing you can do to make God love you more and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Thank you, Lord, that by faith you give me the gift of righteousness and put me in a right relationship with God. Old Testament from Joshua 9 and 10 Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out and on the third day came to their cities, Gibeon, Kephira, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jearim. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders, but all the leaders answered, We have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. This is what we will do to them. We will let them live, so that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. They continued, Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly. So the leader's promise to them was kept. Then Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, Why did you deceive us by saying, We live a long way from you, while actually you live near us? You are now under a curse. You will never be released from service as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, Your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants from before you. So we feared for our lives because of you. And that is why we did this. We are now in your hands. Do to us whatever seems good and right to you. So Joshua saved them from the Israelites, and they did not kill them. That day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the assembly, to provide for the needs of the altar of the Lord at the place the Lord would choose. And that is what they are to this day. Joshua chapter 10 Now Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and had become their allies. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, 
king of Jarmuth, Japhiah king of Lachish, and Dibia king of Eglon. Come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, so Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them all along the road going up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makeda. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jasha. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. Now the five kings had fled and hidden in the cave at Makeda. When Joshua was told that the five kings had been found hiding in the cave of Makeda, he said, Roll large rocks up to the mouth of the cave and post some men there to guard it. But don't stop. Pursue your enemies. Attack them from the rear and don't let them reach their cities. For the Lord your God has given them into your hand. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely. But a few survivors managed to reach their fortified cities. The whole army then returned safely to Joshua in the camp at Makeda, and no one uttered a word against the Israelites. Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me. So they brought the five kings out of the cave, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon. When they had brought these kings to Joshua, he summoned all the men of Israel and said to the army commanders who had come with him, Come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came forward and placed their feet on their necks. Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, be strong and courageous. This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you are going to fight. Then Joshua put the kings to death and exposed their bodies on five poles, and they were left hanging on the poles until evening. At sunset, Joshua gave the order, and they took them down from the poles and threw them into the cave where they had been hiding. At the mouth of the cave, they placed large rocks, 
which are there to this day. That day Joshua took Makeda. He put the city and its king to the sword and totally destroyed everyone in it. He left no survivors. And he did to the king of Makeda as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua and all Israel with him moved on from Makeda to Libna and attacked it. The Lord also gave that city and its king into Israel's hand. The city and everyone in it Joshua put to the sword. He left no survivors there, and he did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua and all Israel with him moved on from Libna to Lachish. He took up positions against it and attacked it. The Lord gave Lachish into Israel's hands, and Joshua took it on the second day. The city and everyone in it he put to the sword just as he had done to Libna. Meanwhile, Horam, king of Giza, had come up to help Lachish, but Joshua defeated him and his army until no survivors were left. Then Joshua and all Israel with him moved on from Lachish to Eglon. They took up positions against it and attacked it. They captured it that same day and put it to the sword and totally destroyed everyone in it, just as they had done to Lachish. Then Joshua and all Israel with him went up from Eglon to Hebron and attacked it. They took the city and put it to the sword together with its king, its villages, and everyone in it. They left no survivors. Just as at Eglon, they totally destroyed it and everyone in it. Then Joshua and all Israel with him turned round and attacked Debia. They took the city, its king, and its villages, and put them to the sword. Everyone in it they totally destroyed. They left no survivors. They did to Debia and its king, as they had done to Libna and its king, and to Hebron. So Joshua subdued the whole region, including the hill country, the Negev, the western foothills, and the mountain slopes, together with all their kings. He left no survivors. He totally destroyed all who breathed just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had commanded. Joshua subdued them from Kadesh Barnea to Gaza and from the whole region of Goshen to Gibeon. All these kings and their lands Joshua conquered in one campaign because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. Righteous by faith. Joshua says to his leaders exactly the words the Lord had spoken to Joshua himself at the start of his own leadership. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. Hear these words for yourself today and then pass them on to others. The name of the king of Jerusalem was Adonai Zedek. Zedek means righteous. However, in all probability, he was far from righteous. It's likely that the people living in Canaan at that time were involved in all kinds of child sacrifices and other evil practices. On the other hand, Joshua was living a life in a right relationship with God. The New Testament makes clear that the righteousness of Joshua, like Abraham and others in the Old Testament, came by faith. Joshua was a man of faith. The results of the death of Jesus are not confined to those who lived after him. The death of Jesus affected those who lived before him as well. Jesus died for Abraham. Moses and Joshua. He died for the criminal on the cross. He died for me. He died for you. We are made righteous. This righteousness from God 
comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Lord, thank you that you died, the righteous for the unrighteous. Help me to live today in a right relationship with you and a right relationship with others. Pippa adds, in Luke 23, verse 55, we see that the women were loyal, brave, and practical. They found out where Jesus' body was laid and then went and did what they could. They had supported Jesus financially and practically during his life and they were going to continue to care for him, even to the very end.